Good morning, Golden Corner Church. Boy, did you hear the volume in that? The power in those words there. Good morning, Golden Corner Church. <laughs> I'm glad to see you. How many of you believe that whatever God leads you to do, you ought to just do it? Whether you completely understand it, agree with it, whatever, you just know he wants you to do it, then you ought to do that. You say, that's what you ought to do, man. That's what you ought to do. Okay, there's seven of us, which means I'm in real trouble here this morning. Because that's what I'm about to do. I finished preparing my sermon at 4.30 yesterday afternoon. In time to have supper with my wife and watch the first game of the Final Four. And when it was over with, I started to bed. And I started down the hall. I turned and I went back to Lynn. And I said, you probably ought to be praying for me. And she said, okay, why? I said, I don't think I'm going to preach the sermon that I prepared. So I went to bed. I mean, the minute my head hit the pillow, I had a thought. And I just knew, well, that's it. And felt like God said, just don't freak out. I'll, I'll show you the rest tomorrow in the morning, bright and early. And uh, whatever I give you, you just take it and you share it. And so that's what I'm doing this morning, right? Now, it may seem a little rough around the edges, and I'm going to tell you why. And it's a little rough around the edges. But it's coming from right here. I promise you that. I promise you this, that what I'm sharing with you is a word from the Lord for this church at this very moment. Is that good with you? Now, for the past nine weeks, Tim Scott and I have been sharing a sermon series with you entitled The Difference Maker. Every week, we've taken our Bible, we've looked at a story that recorded for us a personal encounter that somebody had with Jesus. And we have taken note of the fact that every time some human being came in contact with Jesus, they had a personal encounter with him, he made a difference. He made a difference in their life. He made a difference in their family. He made a difference in their future. He made a difference. Hence, he is the difference maker. Now, we read in our Bibles the first, first sermon in this series. We read about Jesus going to a wedding. And, and the bride and groom ran into a little snag. And they encountered a problem. It wasn't earth-shattering. Uh, but it was their problem. And Jesus made their problem his problem. And in a miraculous way, he solved their problem, making their little wedding the best it could possibly be. Made a difference. Next story, we read about a guy, I guess you describe him as the maniac. That's the way the Bible describes him. The maniac of Gadara. Here was a guy, and evil spirits had taken control of his mind. They robbed him of his sanity, robbed him of his family, robbed him of his job, his home. You know, robbed him essentially of his life. And Jesus shows up one day, and this man has an encounter with Jesus. Jesus frees him from his bondage to these spirits and sets him on a course of complete restoration, recovering everything he lost. We read a story about a distraught parent who came to Jesus and said, I've got a child that's dying. Barring some miracle, he is dying. And so I'm asking you to do for my child what I can't do. I'm asking you to heal them and spare them and, and, and let me keep my, my child. And you know what Jesus did? He did that. We read the story about a little guy named Zacchaeus. And in his town where he lived, Jericho, he was the most famous sinner 
in town. I mean, of all the rotten, corrupt people, he was at the top of the list. Jesus showed up looking for him. They had a personal encounter, and Jesus forgave him of all his sins. Gave him a right standing with God, made him heaven ready, and, and in the meantime, changed him in the, from the inside out so that in time, Zacchaeus was probably the most righteous person in Jericho. We read about a group of people, probably ten or 15,000 people that followed Jesus out into a wilderness, and you know they wanted to hear him teach so badly, they followed him out there. By the end of the day, a real need had developed. They needed food. You know what they had on hand? Some kid had essentially a snack pack, and Jesus took that, blessed it, and used it to feed over 10,000 people. And I'm not talking about just a microscopic little amount. He fed them to the point that they were satisfied. He met their need in a supernatural way. We read about four guys, two sets of brothers, who were very ordinary, very average. But yet they ended up being four of the most influential people who ever walked on the face of this earth. And you know how it was? They hung out with Jesus. He made a difference in them that enabled them to make a great difference in others. We read about a dude named Nicodemus. Nicodemus was a good guy. If you'd have known him, that's what you'd have said about him. He's a good man. He was also an extremely religious man. He had an encounter with Jesus and came to find out that he was neither right with God, nor was he going to heaven because all of his life he'd been trusting in the wrong things. God opened his eyes, Jesus opened his eyes, and then he saved him. Last week, we read a story about two sisters whose brother died. Jesus showed up four days after the funeral, raised their brother from the grave, and restored their brother to the family, keeping the family intact. I think it's safe to say that we have learned in nine weeks that Jesus is the difference maker, wouldn't you? Now, i got a question for you. What difference has he made in your life? What has he done for you? What difference has he made in you? What difference has he made in your life? What difference has he made in your family? What difference has he made in your future? Now, this is not where you just hit the pause button and don't think about anything until I just start talking again. This is where you start taking a real personal inventory. What's he done for you? What difference has he made for you? Maybe you're like Zacchaeus. Your claim to fame was you're a low-down, dirty, rotten sinner. That's how everybody knew you. But boy, Jesus came looking for you one day, and he forgave you. And he changed you so that no longer are you pursuing sinfulness, but now you pursue righteousness. Did he do that for you? Maybe you're like Nicodemus. Maybe you were that close to going to hell straight off of a church pew. And one day Jesus opened up your eyes and showed you that you were trusting in all the wrong things and showed you you ought to be trusting in me. And and you moved your faith over to him and he saved you. Maybe you're kind of like that maniac and you allowed something into your world that took control of you. Maybe it was alcohol. Maybe it was drugs. I have no idea what it was. But something took control of you and it was robbing you blind. And you didn't like what it was doing to you, but you couldn't change. But boy, you had an encounter with Jesus and he set you free and he has now set you on a path to recovery. 
Maybe you're like that little couple who was getting married and, and you've had problems. And to me, if I didn't know what your problem was, maybe I didn't perceive it as a big problem. But to you, it was a big problem. And you handed that off to him. And he took that problem as though it was his. And in his own way and through his power and resources, he solved that problem for you, making your life better. Maybe you're like that group of people who was out in the wilderness. And you ever been here where you just you and your family had needs? I mean, you had legitimate needs. And you looked around, and there were no resources. There was no resources anywhere in sight for that need to be met. You know what Jesus did? In a supernatural way, he stepped in, and he met that need. I'm telling you, blowing your mind. Maybe you're like that distraught parent, and you saw that there was a need in your child's life, a need you were incapable of meeting. And you took that to him, and you said, here's my kid, and Lord, I'm worried, and if you would, would you do this? And you saw him do something for your child. Maybe you're like one of those four brothers, and there's nothing extraordinary about you. You you know, basically, if people, I had to go to the hospital. Monday, and they, they did some x-rays, and so they're coming back to give me the, uh, the results of these x-rays, and this is what they said, unremarkable. You know what? I thought, hey, that's a story of my life. Maybe you're kind of like me, and that's, you know, you've always been kind of an unremarkable person, but you've hung out with Jesus, and he's made a remarkable difference in you, and now he's working through you to make a remarkable difference in other people, and it just blows your mind. Maybe you're like those two sisters and man, you saw something just disappear. You thought it's never coming back. Maybe it was happiness. Maybe it was peace. Maybe it was health. Maybe it was your family. Maybe it was your spouse. You thought, I've lost them. I've lost them. Boy, Jesus did something for you. And he restored something of great value that you thought was gone forever. What's he done for you? How has he made a difference in your life? Assuming you've had a personal encounter with him, things have got to be different. Better. I I got another question for you, okay? In light of all he's done for you, what should you do for him? Don't unplug on me now. In light of all he's done for you and your family, what should you do for him? I'm going to make a suggestion. Worship him. I'm, I'm saying, in light of all he's done, don't you think it would be appropriate behavior on our part if we worshiped him? Do you know what that means? Do you know what that word means? It means to show him the value we have placed on him. Let me show you where I'm getting this. John chapter 12, verse number 1. We're going to read the first two verses. The story we're reading about here happened very soon after the story we talked about last week. Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead and, and giving him back to his sisters. It says, six days before the Passover celebration began, Jesus arrived in Bethany, the home, or probably should have been the hometown of Lazarus, the man he had raised from the dead, A dinner was prepared in Jesus, do you see this phrase? Because this is really critical, in Jesus' honor. Martha served and Lazarus among those who ate with him. Now, I kind of get a picture of what's happening here. There's a group of people getting together in Bethany. They're actually meeting in the home of a man named Simon. Simon had suffered all of his life with leprosy until one day he had a personal encounter with Jesus. 
You know what Jesus did? Healed him. Made a difference. Made a big difference in life. So Simon is hosting this dinner. Now Martha's the one that's coordinating, you know, what's going to be served and when. And, you know, she's coordinating all the details. She's in charge of that. You know, Jesus made a big difference in Simon's life, correct? Well, he'd made a big difference in Martha's life, gave her her brother back. Lazarus there, Jesus certainly made a big difference in his life. You know what? It's a collection of people in whose life Jesus had made a big difference, and they're coming together to honor him. Now, if you look up the word honor in the dictionary, it's synonymous with worship. You look up worship, it's synonymous with honor. So these people in whose lives Jesus had made this big difference had come together in order to worship Jesus. It was a worship service. It was a small, intimate gathering of people who came together to worship Jesus. You know, I think it's possible that we could worship Jesus by declaring his worth. I think we could do that. I wonder if that's not what was going on. How many of you have ever been to an old-fashioned testimony meeting? Anybody here been to an old-fashioned testimony meeting other than me? Oh, goodness, seven more on that, seven. And, uh... Well, if you haven't been, you've missed out. I just want to tell you that. I kind of believe that the atmosphere in this room was a lot like that. And people were just taking turns telling their story. Let me tell you, Simon, let me tell you my story. Man, leprosy, it cost me my family. I had been isolated in this leper colony. And I lived in great physical pain. And guess what? One day Jesus showed up and he healed me. And boom, I got my life back. I believe Lazarus going, hey, I can trump you on that one. I won up here. He didn't heal me. He raised me from the dead. Now, I believe that they were taking turns. Martha going, I thought my brother was gone forever. Next thing I know, Jesus has raised him from the dead. And I believe they're, listen, you know what they're doing? They're declaring, they're declaring the, the worth I feel like that they'd placed on Jesus. And then there's another person that steps up. Her name was Mary. It was her brother who was sitting there who had been dead and raised back to life. Jesus made a big difference in her family. And what she did was she put on a worship clinic. I want you to read what she did in verse number 3. Then Mary took a 12-ounce jar of expensive perfume made from the essence of nard, and she anointed Jesus' feet with it. Wiping his feet with her hair, the house was filled with the fragrance. You see this? Mary understood something about worship that I don't know that the others did. Worship is not so much the value you declare that you have toward Jesus. Worship is the value you demonstrate. Worship is something that's best shown, not spoken. Her intent was to show Jesus the value she had placed on him. So she comes in there with this little alabaster jar, probably an intricate work of art, probably very valuable in and of itself. And this story is recorded in two other places. And so I want you you know what she did? Have you ever seen these westerns where two guys are about to fight and maybe they don't have a knife or a gun and they grab a beer, long neck beer bottle and boy, they pop it. And then they go, they're about to get away. You know what she did? She took that alabaster jar. She broke it. Pow. Why not just take the lid off of it? Because as far as she was concerned, There was going to be no turning back. 
No change of mind, no change of heart midstream. She was committing to something. And then she walks over to him, and in other records, she started off by pouring that perfume onto his head. Now, it said it was very expensive. You know what it was worth? If we'd read on, you'd discover it was worth a year's wages. Twelve ounces of perfume imported from India. It was worth a year's wages. You do the math. I mean, what's your average household income? You think about that. She's giving this up. She pours it on his head and then she, she bows down and she takes his feet and she pours the remainder onto his feet and then she takes her hair and she wipes off his feet so that the fragrance just fills the room. Mary knows how to worship. You worship by giving Jesus your best. And you worship by doing for Jesus what you could. So I got a question for you. How's your worship? I mean, you're, I'm taking it that you've had an encounter with Jesus. He's made a big difference in your life. He's done some incredible things for you, your family. So I'm going to ask you, so in light of that, How's your worship? If we worship by showing, and we show by giving our best and doing what we could, how is your worship? Now, this is the point in the first service where everything went really, really quiet. Well, I've got to be honest with you. It's about to get tense. You say, Ronnie... I'm not going to apologize. I know that I've come here to share something. I'm just passing something on, man. That's all I'm doing. How would I know? I think there are three areas we've got to look at. That's where it would start. I think number one, look at your schedule. From the time you left this building last week into this very moment, if you look back over your schedule last week, how much time did you give to Jesus? Wouldn't you say that's our most precious commodity, our time? How much time did you intentionally set aside for Him? Maybe time just to, to visit with Him. A time for you to enjoy His presence. A time for Him to enjoy your company. Knowing that, that His relationship with you is what He values more than anything else. And so you made sure you set aside time to give to Him. Time to let Him talk as you listen. Time to talk as he listened to you. How much time did you give him? Because whatever amount it was. Is a reflection of the value that you placed on him. We worship him by giving. And giving our best. I mean when you consider last week. How much time did you set apart to serve the church. Which is referred to in the, in the Bible as his body. Whom did you encourage? Whom did you strengthen? Whom did you pray for? Whom did you serve? I mean, in order to make his body strong. How much time did you set aside for that? How much time did you set aside to make sure that people who may not know him would know about him and hopefully come to know him? Because I'll tell you what, guys. The amount of time that we appropriated to him, that we gave to him, is a reflection of the value you have placed upon him. And when you look at your schedule, do you see that you gave him the best you could?
I'm having to, to accept something about pastoring, you know, in this generation. And that is people don't attend church like they used to. And, you know, I, I would say this, that, uh, and I've got some, we've got some numbers and some ways to calculate this. At Go to Corner Church, out of everybody that considers this church to be their home, as a general rule, you're here half the time. Now, that may not be you. I'm not throwing a blanket over everybody. But the average family that comes here, we get them no more than 26 weeks out of a year. Now, I know that, and I've, you know what I've done? I've said, okay, the problem is our culture. And I know this, things have changed. You know, 30 years ago, people worked Monday through Friday. Everybody had Sunday off. That made a big difference. And now things have changed, and some of you can't be here every Sunday because you're at work. I'm not. That's not what I'm talking about. I've written it off, said culture's changed. People are busy. Now, man, their schedules are so full. You know, I can kind of get this. You know what I'm coming to understand? The problem's not cultural. Problems worship. One of the reasons that we find it's so difficult to slide 60 minutes a week into ch- to give to church is because of the lack of the value we placed on Jesus Christ. Now, the second place you ought to look, and if you thought that was bad, it's going to get worse, okay? I think we ought to look at our checkbook. And if you want to know the value placed on Jesus, I think we ought to look at our checkbook. I want you to know something. I'm not paid on any kind of incentive plan. And so, in other words, if giving goes up a million dollars a Sunday here, I don't get a commission on that. You know that? I don't get paid more if you give more. I don't have anything to gain in what I'm about to say. got everything to lose because people, as a general rule, misunderstand any time a pastor talks about giving. But I can't help but notice that the Bible talked to us about and described and defined the monetary value of her gift. It cost her money. And it cost her a lot of money. Uh, Do you think she grieved over this? Do you think she had to do this? Do you think there was a price of admission? If you're coming into our little worship party, uh, you gotta, it's going to cost you a year's wages or their equivalent. Do you think, you think that was it? No, listen, she didn't give it because she had to. She gave it because she wanted to. She showed Jesus the value she placed on him by giving something that was worth a lot of money to him. Guys, I can tell you this. We can open up our checkbook and we can tell the value that we have placed on Jesus Christ. Man, if, 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 you, if you look in there, you ought to be able to see that you're investing to some degree in ministries that are carrying the message of Jesus out to people who need to hear about him. That's going to be there. You say, well, you know, is there such a thing as a $1,000 worshiper and a $10,000 worshiper? Listen, I'm not saying that you, you know, score points by how much you give. I will say this. Everybody's gift ought to be extravagant by your standards. I didn't even ask you to give it here, did I? Did I ask you to give it here? All throughout the Bible, giving is a means of expressing to God the value that you've placed on Him. Let me give you this. I think the third place we've got to look is our to-do list. 
You not only worship by giving Jesus your best, you worship by doing what you could. Did you know that she was reprimanded for this? That men in the room spoke up and said, whoa, what is she doing? You know what Jesus said to them? Shut up. You guys need to shut your mouths. This is, I'm going to quote it. This is what he said. I kind of paraphrased on that, Burrow. I kind of paraphrased. You know it? This is what he said exactly. He said, she has done what she could. Did you get it? She has done, D-O-N-E, what she could. You know how to worship Jesus? Do what you can. Give your best and do what you can. If we were to look back at your to-do list last week, I bet you would be impressed. How many things were on that and, boy, how many check marks you've got? I'll tell you what, mine's pretty doggone impressive. When you look back at the to-do list, how many items read kind of like this? I want to do this for Jesus this week. Check. And I want to do this for Jesus this week. Check. And I want to do this for Jesus. Check. Were there things like that? You understand that worship is not so much something we say, it's something we demonstrate. And the value you've placed on Jesus can be seen in whether or not you're giving him your best or doing what you could. How's your worship? When you looked at your schedule, when you looked at your checkbook, when you look at your to-do list, do you see that you are giving him your best and you are doing what you can? Now, if not, you may be sitting there asking me, wanting to ask me, Ronnie, what what should I do? I don't know. I don't know what to tell you. It's kind of like this. If all that Jesus has done for you up to this point hasn't prompted you to worship him, What's left for him to do? He left heaven, came to earth, and took on a human body so that he could suffer as humans do. He ended up going to a cross. He was nailed to that cross. And on that cross, he took responsibility for our sins and died as a sinner would die, even though he had no sins, because you and I, we sinned. Somebody had to die, and guess what? He said, it'll be me. I'll die in their place. He made a way that you could be forgiven, a way that you could be reconciled with God, a way that you could get into heaven one day and escape the horrors of hell. And then he sent his Holy Spirit into this world to hunt you down and pester you to the point that you would believe in the day you believed you were forgiven, you were reconciled, you were made heaven ready, and he went to work changing you into the person you've always wanted to be. He went to work enriching your life, making it full. He began to lead you, guide you, speak to you, bless you, love you, and do all these things for you. If that didn't make a worshiper out of you, what's he got to do? Man, if I had a week to prepare this, this would have really preached. You know what? I'm honest, though. If that hasn't made us worshipers, if that hasn't motivated us to give him our best and to do all we could, that don't think there's anything left that he can do.
Maybe this would be a good move. Maybe we need to sit down and really do some serious reflection. Pencil and pad in hand and start listing. Now, if you're married, sit down with your spouse. Honey, here's, he's done this, he's done this, he's done this, he's done this, he's done this. Man, if you hadn't solved this problem, if you hadn't come through with this need, and you begin to look at and identify the difference that he's made in your life, you know what it might do? It might elevate your appreciation for all he's done and the value that you, maybe, that, maybe that's something that's worth doing. Maybe next week when we're making our schedule out, we, put, we pencil in time with Jesus first. Maybe when we're doing our monthly budget, the first line item is what we're going to invest in his work. When we're making out our to-do list, the first thing we put on there are the things we want to do for him that week. Maybe those are good things. We don't have time to do those here this morning. I don't have time for you to reflect on this and make that list. I don't have time for you to make out a new schedule or budget for next week. But maybe there's something we need to do first that we could do this morning. Maybe we need to apologize to him. Because if you look at your schedule and see that you're only giving him the scraps and the leftovers, if anything at all, you understand what they're saying to him? This is what you're worth in my eyes. Man, you look into your checkbook and you see that you're only giving him the scraps or the leftovers or nothing at all. You do know what you've said to him. This is what you're worth in my eyes. Or you look at your to-do list and there's all kind of things you wanted to do, all kind of things other people wanted you to do. You can't find a whole lot that you wanted to do for him. You understand he only gets the scraps and the leftovers or nothing at all. You understand what they're saying to him. This is what I think of you. And so through our giving and through our deeds, guess what? We're either worshiping him or we're insulting him. It's one of the two. So perhaps we've been insulting him, which would mean an appropriate response on our part is to apologize and start again. Now that we can do this morning. I'm going to ask that every head be bowed and all eyes be closed. You're sitting here this morning and maybe the conclusion you've reached is through the way I give to Jesus through the way I serve Jesus I've been communicating the wrong message I could easily see how he would interpret this as an insult you feel you owe him an apology I'm going to ask you to do something I'm going to ask you to do something boldly 
I'm going to ask you to slip out of your seat. I'm going to ask you to come to this altar. If you're physically capable, I think it would be good to offer this apology to him on bended knee. I ask you if you want to. Why don't you come right now? Man, I know you don't have to do this. I got a feeling that some of you want to do this. There's something pulling at you, drawing at you, saying, make this right. Make this right. Come on. Listen to me. I took a real step of faith this morning. Packing up a sermon that was ready and starting from scratch and just saying, here I go, God. I'm going to do exactly what you say. I'm trusting you. Some of you, you're feeling it. In, I mean, you feel it right now in your spirit. I, I need to come up. I just need to public, publicly acknowledge this. I need to take care of this. Take a step of faith and come on. We're going to wait just a minute. Come on. Father, this morning, we we just lift up our voices to you with one big, I am so sorry. Lord, I can't imagine, I just can't imagine what our lives have been saying to you in the way that we give, in the way that we serve. I just don't know, Lord, but if you've been salted, I tell you what, on behalf of this group, we say we're sorry. Because here's the deal, you're worth our best. You're worth our best, Lord. You're worth our best efforts, the best of our time, the best of our money. You are worth our best. And so here's the deal, God. We're going to reevaluate. And we're going to understand that when these decisions are being made, we're actually making decisions about worship. And in the way we live, in the things we do, in the things we refuse to do, Lord, in the way we organize our time, in the way we, we manage our money, in the way, in the things that we do. We want it to be a reflection of the great value that we have placed on you and the great appreciation we have for the things that you do for us. Here's the deal, God. We want you to be honored by our lives. And we want you to be honored by our church. We want you to be honored when we come to church together like this. And So, God, whatever you want to do, whatever changes you need to make, but we felt like it all started with us admitting to you we've come short here sorry but we're starting over we're starting over today we're starting over now in the name of Jesus everybody here ask this together God amen Here's what we're going to do, guys. We're going to leave here. And we're going to be conscious that our lives are saying something to Him. Our lives are expressing to Him the worth that we've attached to Him. So let's live our lives as an expression of genuine worship. 
I love you. Have a great day.